This week's episode is brought to you by Lovers of the Unique Resin Crafts. With a wide range of products from home decor, pride merchandise, and a growing selection of Warhammer-themed shot glasses, Lovers of the Unique Resin Craft has a little something for everyone. Use the link in the description below. Hello and welcome to Geeks of Grimdark, your home for everything Warhammer, be they Elves or Eldar, Space Marines or Stormcath, we've got you covered. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... The Shield Brother, Axel Wright. I know I'm going to regret asking, but how's it going, man? Terrible. Let's move on. Yeah, <laughs> no. There's a, there's a dark cloud over our productions this month, shall we say. So let's move on to funner, happier things. Funner, happier things being... People who support us on Patreon and give us money so that we can make this a weekly podcast. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Solomitsky, and Seth Dedeker. I did it all in one breath. Go me. <laughs> Very nice. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode gets you early access to all our content and goes a long way towards helping us produce this podcast. As this is an episode of Geeks of Grimdark, you, as always, we have a guest to talk our topic with us, so why don't you introduce yourself? Hey everyone, I'm Zev, Vukari uh, Gaming on Twitter, uh, and I am a science fiction author and TV geek. All right, good and simple, get right to the point. Well, welcome Zev, we're here to talk about, well, Eric, why don't you introduce us to the topic? So this is one of those ones that if you are involved in Warhammer 40k for any length of time, Inevitably, you will hear this discussion. Why don't they make 40K? Why don't they make a 40K TV series? And that always brings up a whole back and forth argument. Now, at time of recording, the Eisenstein TV show is still in some form of production, so we can't really talk to that. But we are going to talk about the idea of a 40k you know movie or tv series and then if we have time we're gonna you know pitch out a couple ideas like this is a cool little story that i think would make a great story so let's start with where do you guys come down on the idea of a 40k tv series well, don't Murphy, all vote 40k tv series right <laughs> yeah. yeah all right uh so usually with these kind of things i like to give the guest the spot first so zev do you have a a pitch or an idea or even just a conversation about this uh well as far as 40k television goes, I'm I'm kind of divided. On the one hand, I've become a huge fan of the the lore and the stories of the Warhammer universe, so a part of me wants to say yes, absolutely. Uh, I would jump over the moon to get this, and another part of me goes, well. I'm not sure how how comfortable I feel with most production companies tackling some of the more troublesome elements of the setting. Chaz? I mean, I'm sure I know what you're talking about, but let's be specific here. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, well, let's talk a little bit about the Eisenstein uh, series. On the one hand, it's great to get uh, a we show fall. In the, the Eisenhorn series, right? Eisenhorn. Oh, I just finished rereading I the uh, fight the early day. Uh, <laughs> orcs at Eisenstein too. So <laughs> yeah, um, the the Empire of the Imperium is kind of a troublesome protagonist setting. Uh, 
for for reasons that have been thoroughly documented uh, in pretty much every discussion forum I'm aware of, uh, the xenophobia, the religious dogmatism, the heavy fascist uh, elements, and that's without the the what I consider the the space marine problem, <laughs> which is you know quite simply, you can't tell a terribly you can't really tell a story in 40k universe around space marines that is going to interest anyone who isn't already deeply interested in Warhammer 40k. Okay, interesting. I disagree with that, but for now, let's let's roll with that. And go on. So my my concern is is that you know we have a a portion of the fan base who have missed the fact that the Imperium was intended to be a mock of fascism. Yeah. Uh, and we've we've all met those people either in uh, comment sections on YouTube or Twitter or God forbid at our friendly local game store. Uh, our hobby has a Nazi problem, unfortunately. And I think anyone who wants to make a show set in the Imperium of Man has to figure out how they want to tackle fascism uh, and, by extension, how they want to tackle chaos and heresy and the fact that you know that's not strictly an evil thing so it's it's a really fine line uh that anyone who wants to do an imperium of man setting show is walking and i'm I'm always very nervous when fine lines come into play because in my experience most production companies aren't don't have enough faith in their audience to try and actually walk that line. Do you have any production companies in mind when you bring that up? Um, well, HBO is one I would definitely point at as failing its audience. Uh, cough, Game of Thrones. Cough, cough. <laughs> um, We're not going to touch that one. No. no I'll you say that they did a good job with Watchmen, though, dealing with that. True. Um, so I think it depends on the writers. Um. But if there was a production company I had to point at and say, I have no concerns that all these guys could absolutely handle it and handle it artfully, I'd have to point at uh, Alcon Entertainment. What have they done? Um, they did the, they're did. they the company behind The Expanse. I haven't watched that. I've heard good things. Uh, the, the Expanse is fantastic. I know, uh, well, I'm also probably the least biased person you could have say anything about the expanse i've interned for alcon entertainment television's department uh i have been talking pretty regularly with one of the two authors of the books uh the expanse for two years now so i'm i'm definitely not an impartial commenter well it's good to have your biases or your yeah your biases up front so that that's that's fair enough (laughs) yeah uh, but you know they're they're a company where I'm like, okay, anyone they hire to write is probably going to read the source material. Uh, they're probably going to get actors who are going to read the source material. They they take their adaptations very seriously in that office. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's good to know. No, you definitely touched on some. The bigger issues. Talking at least more about the interesting issues, you know, like, like, oh, well, the cost. It's like, yeah, well, Amazon's spending an ungodly amount of money on their, you know, <laughs> Lord of the Rings series. So, yeah, 
Um, let's, let's put you know, cost aside for a second. Well, that is something. Uh, when I when I talk to you know my my friends and my family because I talk to them about all my creative ideas, and I tell them about you know Warhammer and I show them pictures and they're like, "Wouldn't the costumes cost? Like, how would they make all those costumes?" And I'm like, "Well, fans already do." Yeah, no, uh, when there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And no, that's, that's I mean, money. That's the easy argument, and then there's ways to do it. You can get real simple. Like, it doesn't have to be space marines. You can do guard versus traitor guard and reuse your yeah, costume. Hold on, hold on here. Let's let's address <laughs> the. I feel like we need to address the setting thing that Zev brought up to begin that with. That is true. Now that that is the big one. And so part of that is faith in the audience to read this and go, oh, I'm not supposed to, you know, root for these guys. I. I think there's something there, though, about the – there's an idea of you can have characters that are great characters in environments and settings that are not great settings. And I think that's perfectly legitimate. So I feel, like, I feel like, at least in my ideas for, say, a Warhammer 40K TV show, you would have characters who are great characters themselves, and you would have fringe – kind of stuff happening uh, on in the outskirts, a few lines throw away that tell the audience the real nature of the Empire without necessarily, like, embroiling your main characters in it specifically. And that depends entirely on what kind of story you want to tell. But I'm saying that I don't think that the the negative aspects of the Imperium as a setting in, are quite as big a challenge as, as that. At least I don't think so. Because I feel like you, you've done things like that before in other shows. I could think of something like Altered Carbon, which is set in an extremely uh, terrible kind of, you know, uh, techocracy kind of setting. And that doesn't change the fact that the main character who benefits from that is, you know, works very well. So I, I feel like there are ways to get around this. Well, that's... There, there's, there's ways to get around it, definitely. And my, my concern has less to do with, like, the internals of the show and, and more with the audience because one of the things is you know we 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 want the show to bring more people to the hobby but one of the fastest ways to think about that kind of thing is i think of like starship troopers where what starship troopers was trying to do was create the or the 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 movie anyway create an idealized version of a fascist fascistic society and show that all it's good for is killing bugs that's the direct quote from the the, the guy. So I feel like when you have a situation like this, if we're talking about the audience, let's say you have a show like Eisenhorn that's based on Inquisitor. You've got a main character now who is above society in a lot of ways, as the Inquisitors are. So it would not be very difficult, I think, to because especially because he's just a regular person. I mean, he might have psychic powers or augments, but at the end of the day, Inquisitor's a pretty understandable type of character in general and you have them travel through situations where you show that the nature i mean literally i feel like all you have to do is show the average lives of hive world people uh, like in cities and you and you instantly have a show that whether it's doing it on purpose or not is commenting on the effectiveness of said society in this case that's what i was thinking you don't necessarily have to come out and say this is a fascist theocracy the second and everything else around it and people can kind of go okay these guys are all shiny but that dude over there is eating another dude's leg that's not a functioning society and one of the reasons why you have a fan base that can have like a nazi problems we established is that the way we generally approach 
the fandom is up to us, right? You get to approach it from whatever yep. place you want. If you want to focus on the models, if you want to focus on the game, you want to focus on the lore. And people who tend to be those people that you're talking about are looking at it from like, I'm playing the Militarum or I'm playing the Space Marines and their ideology and their coolness and whatnot. Whereas in a show, you could literally be like, hey, here's a scene that just has them walking down a street and look at the shitty lives of regular people, which if you read the lore are generally pretty terrible. <laughs> so. yeah. Now, here's the hurdle, which would be good to do, and I don't think would do, but you don't make your characters good people. I mean, 40K fans love to go on and on and on about how there are no good guy factions. But if you made the show kind of like, no, these are not even good people. Not anti-heroes. Just, well, maybe, I don't know, anti-heroes feel like it's overused as a term. Well, you need complicated people. And yes. I'm not I'm not saying that like a good character is necessarily always a complicated character. I think there are some great characters that are simple characters. But with this kind of setting... My brain instantly goes to, like, season one Jessica Jones. Like how Jessica mm -hmm. is kind of a dick, but also we are totally following her for reasons we understand. So I imagine Inquisitor needs to have the same kind of vibe to the audience, you know? Well, Inquisitor's, like, a, it's a real easy one of he not only – you can put him wherever, but automatically he's representative of everything that's wrong with this system, of there's a religious order that's still going around and, you know, persecuting people. He can be a bit of a dick because Inquisitors aren't, you're not supposed to root for them. So that's a brilliant setup to do your show uh, right off the gate, is all the stuff you need is front-loaded in his character and what he does. Yeah. So another way, another way you deal with this, right, is without condoning or condemning, and you will leave that to the audience, but you're going to lean towards condemn, obviously. But you also show, once you establish this society is terrible, the next thing you got to say is like, okay, why is society like this? And Warhammer 40K comes with that answer baked in, because the alternatives are all equally or worse. So showing something like a Drukhari city for a bit, or an orc attack, or something like that, it's like, okay, this place is terrible, and these are the other options, too, and everything is terrible. So. Yeah, true. I think it would work really well, and what, this is kind of the other big thing, is it's too niche of an audience. And I I think Warhammer undersells itself in how big the audience really is. But yeah, also... By a factor yeah. of like three in the last two years. So. Well, also, there's a lot of it that walking by, people are going to go, oh, hey, what's that? That looks cool. They don't need to be in this to know that, huh... A chainsaw sword. That's that's a cool idea. I can get behind that. But I also think that Warhammer, when it's written at its best, like we've talked about throughout the Horus Heresy, is a very... It's kind of got the Game of Thrones, Roman Empire, intrigue and betrayal going on just under the surface that can really kind of sucker you in as well. So yeah. it's come for the stories, stay for the violence. <laughs> Pretty much. Come for so, the story, stay for that spray of blood that just went 30. Oh my god. So, yeah, while no, I, so my point is, while I very much agree that making sure we don't accidentally create a pro-fascism show is important, I think that just by making sure you take time to illustrate what a terrible effect the society has on normal people, you instantly create a very condemnable society. A good showrunner is going to handle it pretty effectively just by visual world building so it's it's one of those things where i'm definitely the concern raises its head and then i go well 
with the right director and writers, this isn't a problem. For me, I feel like I feel like the first real problem that we have to overcome. Well, I mean, not the first, but the the next real problem we have to overcome is scale, because 40k has got a real great relationship with scale in that again depending on <laughs> what way you come at it the scale is very different because you can most people nowadays who start the hobby are starting with something like kill team where the scale is you know five to ten guys against five to ten guys but you also read lore where it's like okay entire planets are getting exterminated pitched battles are happening with millions of soldiers one of those is a lot easier to do than the other one but they're both important, I feel like, to what the hobby is. So the idea that the first Warhammer show is going to be literally named after it based on one character, I feel like is the right decision. Because with a, a universe as big as this, starting small-scale character-wise so we can bring in the fringes of what the scale is world-wise makes sense. And then when you have – I mean, I imagine that this is – if not a shared universe, a related universe of shows and movies, and each one ad- addresses scale in its own in its own way. Yeah, I actually I do want to talk about scale a bit, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about uh, for uh, for a project of my own that I'm working on. Forty um, K, from my understanding, has a lot of stories that are very kind of standalone there's like the omnibuses of like short collections of stories that are all about an event like the uh the collection of stories about the tyranids uh or uh a collection of stories about uh invasion of oddly intelligent orcs like the the number of actual like running stories that allow you to have a multi-season show, I don't get the sense that there's necessarily a lot of those. And that is, from a television perspective, that's a bit of a, a, uh, a red flag for a production company. They want a show to be at least two seasons uh, because then they can really have a chance of making a good amount of money back. Yeah, no, the thing... That I think is interesting and we relate to the whole scale is most 40k books are very character focused but you put them in the middle of a much bigger event so basically you can just it works really well and as long as you aren't doing one of the big ones like a big this was an actual even if a big siege almost you can still go and we're focusing on squad this in the middle of this big event so you can kind of you know uh, noise in the background, other background details going, okay, this is part of something bigger, but I'm just focused on these people. And maybe the finale, you widen and pan out and you show just how massive whatever the event is. Maybe you do a Titan walking by if you want really want to get crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think no. that brings me to, if you don't mind, my first pitch, which, because we talked about this a bit, me and Ulrich before in another episode, I forgot exactly the details but if i were in charge of trying to make a warhammer show that isn't the one already being made essentially because i do think the going off an inquisitor and i named one was a very good decision to start with but you made a comment before about like how do you get someone interested in space marines who doesn't already know them and i say that one of the big ways to do that 
is to make a show that's focused on a small group of them who are very different from each other and who are in situations where the the dynamics between them is the main reason we are watching the show. So like you're a death watch pitch. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I say that what I would do is make a show based around a, a death watch kill team newly formed where each one is from a different a chapter. This is a great way to have, we've got a small collection of characters, say like six to 10 uh, base characters, probably closer to like nine. I'm going to say um, of a main cast they all getting to know each other allows us to have conversations that teach the uninitiated little bits of information about the rest of the universe and about where, why, where they come from is different, different planets, different things like that. While also introducing them to the idea of space marines as a concept, while still focusing on them as characters before they are a, you know, a physical construct necessarily. And as for seasons, you literally can construct it around. You know, this season is this mission. This season is this mission. I wouldn't want to go longer than three seasons in this format, but still, it'd be a very easy thing to be like, all right, first season, this Death Watch team has been assembled to deal with, uh, I don't know, an Orkawa, right? So they're sent to some planet, and they're dealing with their internal dramas and internal issues with each other. Maybe one of them is a, you know, Iron Hands, and another one is a Raven Guard, and that Iron Hands guy is the real dick to the Raven Guard guy because the Iron Hands are real dicks to the other broken chapters. So, and we've got, you know, that there, you got character drama. That's a big like plot point. Meanwhile, you know, every second or third episode, there's some skirmish with uh, orcs and you get to have your action sequences. And in season two, you do something like, Oh, it's a Tyranid thing or a gene steal. Actually gene stealers would make the best first one. That's a better one because yeah. that allows us to set it in probably a hive city where you've got a kill team that has been established to try to put down a gene stealer cult. And so now you've got the setting where you're showing off the, the fascistic Imperium while also having a, like, find the hidden kind of thing going on. It's naturally elements up, in there. Yeah, naturally builds up to a season ender where they fight the Patriarch and some of them die or something. So, but that would be my my big first idea. No, Death Watch that's, is a great starting that's point. That's a good idea. Because it really is, you're getting a little bit of everything from the universe while, again, at a very small, narrow focus. And by setting it around, you know, Gene Stealer Cult, it works both in this is a small thing, but if you don't handle it, it becomes a much bigger thing. And that's really easy to explain going, no, no, this is just the warning sign of something much greater to come. So you really, you have big tension with a small event. Yeah, absolutely, and it has the the added benefit of bringing attention to a a group within Warhammer that really deserve more love than they get. Yeah, no, Gamer should be marking the hell out of Death Watch, but no, he means well. Both Gene Stealers and Death Watch don't or need more need more love, mostly because I don't know what Games Workshop has against Death Watch, but their rules are never great, and then Gene Stealers are always like the last to get a codex. So <laughs> Death Watch is a hard one to write rules for. Yeah, the because they, they don't really... Death Watch exists in kind of this amorphous... Everyone knows they're there, but no one knows exactly what they do. I mean, I, I own their 8th edition codex, and the only thing I can remember from Death Watch is they're the reason we don't have anti-warp technology in the Imperium, because one alien race was like, oh, hey... We'd like to give this to you guys. The Death Watch went, oh, hell no. You guys can go to the end of the world, and we're going to exterminate your entire species. <laughs> now, 
anyone listening who knows their lore might say, I might say, wouldn't this idea also work for, say, Grey Knights, who would function in oh. <laughs> Grey Knights is nuts. No, that's what you pitched into the bleachers for Grey Knights. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was about to say. Is that would be I would, hilarious. I would, I would go with no. Death Watch over Grey Knights for a – definitely for an early show. But you can use the same format for a much later kind of thing with I'm Grey sorry, Knights. Uh, Grey Knights would be – Darkly hilarious because I can't hear someone say Grey Knight show without thinking about that Bricky video uh, where he's, you know, introducing all the factions and he's talking about Grey Knights. And he's like, so if I'm a guardsman on a planet and I'm fighting demons, uh-huh. and the Knights show up and kill all the demons. Well, uh, guess who's not getting off that planet? <laughs> the, 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 the potential for just this, this like dramatic betrayal tickles oh. me. Because I'm like, yes, everyone's rooting for the Grey Knights, and then episode like eight of ten comes around, the demons are gone. And you're like, wait, where are the demons gone? Two episodes before the fin- oh no, no <laughs> what we, are they doing? In my mind, I would actually introduce Grey Knights in our Death Watch show near the That's end. That's what I'm thinking. You need to play them in somewhere. Well, because all you need to do is have like, so we're dealing with Gene Steeler cults, right? And then we got a big town. There's probably more than one kind of cult. Let's say there's like a corn cult there too, and they're actually butting heads with the gene stealer cults. And so then, you know, Grey Knights show up to deal with some demonic incursion that the Death Watch get kind of wrapped into. Grey Knights, Grey Knights deal with their thing and, you know, leave. But now we've got essentially a somewhat backdoor pilot to see how the Grey, Grey Knights, uh, how they do in a, like, you know, limited setting while we still focus on our Death Watch team. No, Green Knights are cool because aesthetically, that's just like, wait a second, why do these Space Marines look different than the ones I've been introduced to? Yeah, they look so dramatically different from. Wait, well, my point is to counter the whole like, how do we get people interested in Space Marines? Because we don't start off with normal Space Marines. We start off with these specific kind of offshoots that focus in smaller groups. <laughs> so. Okay, that that gave me a, a movie pitch, uh, like a. Just one-off movie, Deathwing. That could be interesting. A, a Space Hulk. It it gives you that that a that aliens deep space horror like theme where you get five Terminators in just this this desperate, increasingly dark struggle to complete their mission. So two things about that before you continue your pitch. One. I love it, especially because I feel like that movie you could do very short. You could do like a solid 90 minutes of just them on a Hulk dealing with like Tyranids. And two, I would do that if I were – again, if I'm in charge, right? I would do that like as a capstone to the series. Like you had this series of two or three seasons of the Death Watch dealing with these things. And now like whatever members are alive or at least a couple of them – they have now been assigned to the, a new Death Watch team. So let's say like you get to the end of your three seasons of the Death Watch show, and of your original nine characters, two have made it. So now you've got a brand new Terminator team that's sent to investigate this this Death this uh, this Space Hulk, and we include our two boys who survived the Death Watch series along with a few new characters, probably bigger names because it's a movie, not a television show. We had to keep our connection to what we know and audience already aware of what these guys are and what they do. But now we get a much bigger spectacle, bigger armor, and everything's not like instantly hit in the face. I think your average viewer, if they've followed along at this point with the series, is going to be acclimated enough to get what's going on. And now we can just throw a big money space spectacle for 90 minutes at them. 
Sorry to uh, steal your thunder there, but <laughs> no, definitely. I, w- I would. I definitely works with a nice, cool 90-minute. You don't have to set up a lot. You just have an opening scene where they board the ship and just wreck shop, and you're like, oh wow, those things are insanely powerful. And then you kind of do the uh, cue to aliens, like, oh no, they're only really powerful if they can, you know, operate within these narrow parameters. But once they get in, it becomes more of a horror show. Yeah. Um. And you know, with with there, like right in the opening, like cutscene of the of the show, well, of the movie, you could showcase just how much bigger a Terminator armored space marine is than. A, a normal marine yeah now maybe you open with just them fighting on a planet before getting the call to go up to hey this space hulk has an important relic to the chapter go get it so you immediately go from a big wide open lots of space lots of light to a very confined dark to the, to the teleportarium <laughs> yeah no we said the, the key word here it's cheap because we only have to film you know them in low light in confined spaces and we can reuse costumes i also really like the idea that for at least in my mind the way you do the terminator quote-unquote reveal is we'd use one of these characters we know who we already see him in his normal armor and we just watch the there was a fan film that came out i don't know if it was this year or last year or something like that that basically did this you just show one coming getting pulling out of his armor and putting on the terminator armor like just like a four minute scene of the process to illustrate the difference i think it was the falcon like Putting on uh, intercessor armor. Exactly. We do the yeah. same kind of thing, but transferring from regular armor to Terminator armor. Yeah, because the 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 difference is dramatic. Anyway, point being that I feel like your average audience member who's not already invested in Warhammer 40k can understand. All right, this is a special ops team. I mean, how many movies have we seen that is that? And at first, that's all they need to know is that it's a special ops team sent to deal with a cult. That's, I think, very understandable. The details then start coming through in their interactions and their conversations. You start realizing, like in episode one, hey, these guys are bigger than everyone, so I guess they're more than just a regular special ops team. And why is that guy talking you – know, why is that guy covered in cybernetics but no one else is? And he seems to be like talking about with the flesh being weak. And that guy over there is praying all the time. The other guys are giving him side eyes. I wonder why. And so <laughs> so – well, the best thing about doing a Death Watch, doing anything Death Watch, is the characters are all color coded by the symbols on their shoulders. When their so, helmet is on, you'll still be able to tell who's who. Yeah, no, you're like, okay, that guy's hand guy, that guy's silver hand guy, that guy is, I don't know how to describe that symbol, but I know what that is. That guy's scary skull guy. And then I think people underestimate, like, when you do an ensemble cast, being able to keep track of who everyone is is very important. Cough, cough, oh, yeah. Armageddon. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. All right, so that was, that's, that's uh, me and Zev uh, did a pitch. Ulrich, do you have a, a pitch for us? Yeah, this one, I don't know if it's going to play to the new audience, but I think it's cool. I would do a series on the siege of Rin's world. Mm, I don't know that. So basically what happens is a huge orc wah shows up on the doorstep of the Crimson Fist's homeworld and the Crimson Fist the entire chapter is there marshaled ready for war and there's a terrible accident right before they go to battle that wipes out three-fourths of the army <laughs> and they now have to defend their home chapter world 
to an invading force of orcs while being scattered and lost and missing materials. And it's just a long, drawn-out siege, hoping that reinforcements will come. Oh, that would be beautiful. Yes. What's the chapter again? Uh, The Crimson Crimson Fist. I've heard of this. Yes, okay. So this is a really kind of fun one because immediately you can do a great gut punch audience thing of you introduce your characters. You've got, you know, Pedro Cantor, who is a chapter master, and he's our Space Marine character. And then you can do, you know, a noble in the city because this is a chapter agri world. So there's, you know, farm and stuff. And you can do, you know, an average, you know, guard because they had a planetary defense force. And everyone's gearing up and like, oh, this is going to be a real, you know, quick, easy one, two, three fight. And then second or third episode, you do the flip when everything just goes to hell. And all of a sudden, everyone now, Pedro Cantor, he's injured and he's, you know, got, he's went from a thousand Marines to 300. You've got the tank guard going, well, I guess I'm the only, I have to, you know, defend this planet because the space Marines are scattered and broken. You've got the guy in the city going, wait, we thought the space Marines were going to come save us. And now we're going to have to make do with what we have. So it go, it quickly shifts from a war kind of, you know, story to an intense drama with a whole looming thread of, are they going to be able to survive? Give us a, uh, for lack of a term, I feel like I need a point of reference. Like, you mentioned Armageddon, right, when we talked about something like Death Watch, which made kind of sense because we're comparing the idea of a team of people, it's a character piece, trying to deal with a problem, and their personalities interacting is largely of what you're drawn to. You're describing something a lot more high scale as we've established where you've got basically an entire invasion of a of a planet that you're kind of dealing with you, you mentioned a few specific characters but what kind of do you have any frame of reference of like another piece of media that we can compare to for to, to, to discuss think alamo think zulu think black hawk down think any of these you know few against many think 300 like uh, Saving Private Ryan, something like that? Yeah, where it's, you know, a few guys fighting from the back foot, and you're kind of rooting for them to, you know, survive. And there you get the grim darkness, and you get to get, this, you know, you get a look at a city that's trying to survive this, and you're kind of going, oh, this isn't good. And you get to see what it's like for the guard. So you get the three, you get the two different perspectives. You get the Astartes who can be your big, courageous, no-no-fear, stompy-stompy, punch-punch-punch, and you can cut back to either of your human characters, and you can see the stark difference in this universe. Mm. And you really get to do something with orcs. Orcs serve two purposes. One, you can kind of do, you know, your tension-relieving comedy, but you can also <laughs> kind of do, oh, these things are terrible and horrible, and is that a operating room? What are they doing to people? <laughs> Which is a thing orcs do. They don't talk about, but orcs yeah. take, sl- take captives and do horrible, horrible experiments. Orcs are... They're- you don't want to get captured in that surprisingly process. scary under under all the goof. And I mean, if you really want to do something cool, halfway through you start hey, cut to the city, and you have wait, what are they building out there? And you have you know a space marine on the wall, stomp us, and you just kind of just leave it there. But they just keep getting bigger and bigger, and the audience doesn't necessarily know what it is, but they know okay, that mountain of guns is getting bigger and scarier, and that space marine sounded upset. I just watched him rip someone's spine out. This is definitely a movie, right? I don't know. Movie. Let's say, I yeah. feel like what you're describing needs the movie budget. Yeah, well, I'm really more thinking pacing-wise. But no, you could 100% do it in a movie, three-act, a little long, like two hours. It would hours. be a longer movie. It would be like a Star Wars-length movie. Yeah, I mean, even then, if you wanted something really fun, because this is a cool bit of lore, you can have a brief scene 
or maybe you established it earlier, but you do the Land Raider Rin's Might, which when its crew was killed, proceeded to kill orcs on its own <laughs> until it ran yes. out of ammo. And then it ran over the orcs until its uh, tracks clogged. And then it opened the door, and drew all the orcs in, and then detonated itself. I don't know where you put that in the movie, but I want that in my movie. That needs to be in... If you're going to do something with Rin's World, you need to have that Land Raider. Because that 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 is like... Uh, that is the equivalent of like Battle of Los Angeles, the lieutenant using the radio because he knows the aliens track radio and then blowing up the entire bridge with himself on it. And it's if just we like, want, I'm right here. Come get me. Psych. And maybe if we want to combine two stories, I know 40K Loris would be pissed, but take <laughs> the first Siege of Rin's World and the second Siege of Rin, the end of the second Siege of Rin's World, where Gilliman shows up with the Primaris reinforcements for your big Act Three break. No, I mean, hey, the the purists might be mad, but who doesn't love a like, holy shit, the cavalry is here. Gandalf is riding down this impossibly steep slope with the Rohirrim. People love mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I would say the problem with that though is that Gilliman is not directly connected to the imperial fists in this in this regard the crimson fist sorry and unless you do your real due diligence to make human not just a yeah, you're not prospect, gonna know but a, who he is. yeah but a yeah, character no. really in the movie then so no you can still but you still keep and I, I can see it in my head you know you do the dawn scene when the walls are in rubble they've managed to you know pull all the characters are pulled together at one central location they're beaten they're battered they're missing limbs the stompas are starting to march. It seems like it's over. And then you hear the klaxon call of the titans. And, you know, here uh-huh. come the reinforcements. I mean, that would be a great introduction to the Legio Titanica. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, you said this whole movie, like, stompas are big. Let's show something even bigger. And you get the big walking emperor-class titan waddling <laughs> over the hill. I mean, if you want to go pure spectacle and scale. I think, if you're going to do that, personally... Because I'm thinking of, like, giant mech movies and kaiju movies, and I feel like you can't just pull that out at the end. You need to have... Yeah, you have to build it. And in which case, you could make part of their... Uh, here, here's what I would say. Make their base, or let's say where a lot of the other place takes part, in a partially destroyed Titan. Where, like, they're using, say, the gun of its hand, which still works as, like, a sentry gun. That way, through the entire movie, you are subtly and not so subtly being like, hey, when this machine was functional, it was really dangerous. But right now, we're just using it as a base. And then at the end, you show one, a functional version of the not-functional thing we've been seeing all movies shows up. Yeah. So here's the real question. Do we establish that reinforcements are coming? Like, is that ever, you know, said a thing that's going to no. happen? Or do we just, like, I, I, movie, the idea is going in, they're going to lose, you're just going to watch them lose. All right, hold, the last hold, hold on about that. Well, because this this brings up a question that we probably should have answered up, up top, which is the nature of grimdark as an aesthetic. We've, yeah. talked, we've talked many times about how most of the Warhammer stories aren't actually grimdark. The setting of 40K is very grimdark, but the actual stories that are told in the books don't tend to be. And that's because Grimdark is great for a setting and not that great for a straightforward narrative. There are exceptions to this, obviously. I can literally think of one, uh, The Mist, I would say, is a Grimdark movie. 
so for a reason. And I think that if we were talking about a an adaptation that actually does the grimdark nature, I think that our Grey Knights idea is a better vessel for that. This, which is an idea about a bunch of you know soldiers fighting off something with the potential of re, um, reinforcements coming, I don't think we should be thinking about this as a grimdark story at all, actually. This seems more like a... And I don't mean this as insulting. I just mean this as observational. This is more of a conventional narrative done in this setting. So, well, yeah. If I'm going to do the grimdark aesthetic, I think grimdark is an idea, I'm going to go with Games Workshop's original idea of grimdark, of grimdark is meaning parody, a joke. That you've got the kind of, this is so stupid that it's fun. Not the grim dark of it's sad and morose and terrible. That's yeah, what my when like I say the violence when I like is sing, epic and it's dark. Everything's and, over the top. Yeah, that's what I'm saying when I'm if I'm pitching these like grim dark. What does that mean? Grim dark means it's so over the top that it comes back around to the beginning again. Not dark souls grim. That would be my pitch. It's like it's going to be sad and crazy, but we're also going to have orcs, you know, wearing imperial hats and jabbering because it's funny and acts as like you know tension break i'm a tank 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 yeah maybe we do so, i don't know maybe, i don't know if i want to understand <laughs> but i want a little bit of you know kind of shining through of there is levity in this because you, it's you so can't stupid. have orcs with without a a, a faulty towers level uh, of comedy coming in at some point because they're so stupid and as as soon as you realize, as soon as the audience realizes that that orc technology works just because they think it does, that's like, that's where you do it. You put it in the technology, like you yeah, just have their like, guns looking at the guns, and you clearly design the guns of they shouldn't work. You look like, at the that gun; is the human. they're shooting the gun. There's there's no magazine. How are you shooting? What are you? What like just orcs need to go over the top of the? What are you even doing? fact wait what are you putting in the oh you're putting one of the smaller orcs you're putting a grot in the chamber of your art okay that, that works <laughs> but that's well, where you do the juxtaposition you do the grim kind of griminess of the siege with the this is a ridiculous force they're fighting why are they so terrifying when they're basically just wielding bricks on sticks if that makes any sense that. at all. So if, if you don't mind, and we can come back to this, but that, I think, leads me very well into another pitch of mine, which I feel like we can all actually touch on. Because Warhammer is, we've established it's a crazy setting. It's very vast. There's so many different kind of factions and so many different kind of events that, honestly, I think one of the best ways you could adapt it in some way would, would be an anthology series. I'm thinking something... Mm like Black Mirror, but shorter, probably with 20-minute segments. And and the, the idea came across, because I was literally reading, Warhammer, uh, Warhammer Store has recently released this, like, I forgot what that's called, but it was a book they were giving out for free at the Warhammer Stores that just contains, like, 10 short stories, each one being, like, 30 pages or something like that. And I read one called Champions All, which is just about a champion of the Black Templars getting separated from the rest of the Black Templars and only him and a, a sister Repentia fighting their way through an orc-infested chapel until they get to a war boss. The sister Repentia sacrificed herself for the, so the champion could finish 
the the war boss and then he meets back up with his team is like we are champions all it's a really good story i'm probably a way oversimplifying it because the 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 good stuff's in the details like the conversation between the the champion and the repentia but that's the kind of thing that doesn't deserve a series or a movie but like a nice 20 minute segment would be great i think of things like the guardsman short film on youtube that would have been a a great kind of you know, small, like if you expand it out a bit. So we've got, say, a series where every episode is two, like, 20-minute segments, uh, maybe. And because of that, we can also divide up our budget a lot. So say we have a certain amount of budget, we put, like, 80% of it into, all right, we know in this season we're going to have, like, four episodes that focus on Space Marines fighting crazy xenos that's where all our money's going to go to so in all our other shorts we do things like hey here's just a rogue trader dealing with some nonsense from some nobles here's a story about uh someone falling into a cult of zinch and thinking they're going insane and realizing that insanity is like an access to power here's a story that introduces the tau entirely and like what they're all about and here's an animated short that's just about orcs being orcs so before we ever show them in the live action you get an idea of what they are so point is that you would be free from i think normal constraints and you don't have to have very long seasons you just start off with like i don't know like a 10 episode so 20 segments each about 20 minutes long gives you kind of like a spread out across the idea or the the question then becomes what are the kind of shorts we pitch and in what order so that someone who's watching gets a a proper kind of view of what they're looking at and to take this one step further at the beginning of every episode i would do a black screen that just shows like a a symbol of whether or not this is a 40k story or an age of sigmar story and maybe even a little thing like Letterkenny where it's like in the 41st millennium or, you know, in the age of heroes. And then you get an idea of like, oh, these are – it's like you just call the whole thing Warhammer stories or something like that. You know what I mean? I mean obviously, it's got the workshop, but this is my basic idea. No, I want to say because Games Workshop's already kind of doing this with their Bolter and Chainsword series, which is just a bunch of animated shorts from around the universe. And I 100% that's probably the – best approach we can pitch is a shotgun approach of okay we're just going to go throughout the universe do a whole bunch of different other styles like give gendry tartakovsky an orc story in the style of primal i figured that would knock it out of the park you'd love orcs by the end of it <laughs> but no it would become 100 like yeah and that's one that's probably the easiest way to introduce somebody is you just do all these kind of one-off shorts with different perspectives from different things. You can do one about a space marine aspirant rising up through the ranks and eventually dying on some planet. You can do Tau. You can do Eldar. You can do a really cool thing is, when I think about movie with uh, going through the warp. Yeah, when I think about budget, I think about, like, you could have an episode that is nothing but an Eldar Farseer sitting in his room and talking to someone. Like, and you could still make that really great. Some of the best, like, movies and scenes that are just people talking, and Eldar are kind of perfect for that kind of thing because of their whole, you know, being alive for so long. But you could do tons of things that tell different kind of stories and different kind of tones. And it's funny because it feels like I'm cheating and that this is a pitch that is all pitches. But the thing Mm -hmm. that makes it, like, limited is, again, you keep it to small stories, ones you can tell 
in 20 minutes or less. Hell, maybe instead have each episode only be 20 minutes long, composed composed of two 10-minute segments, and you can still get a lot of mileage out of that. No, I think uh, Netflix's Love, Death, and Robots is probably a great example of this, of those are a bunch of weird, scattershot, different stories of varying lengths and animation style that would very much fit this idea. And the best thing is, is if someone's watching this and they aren't digging one episode, they're on to the next one. You're not going to have that problem of, I don't like this story, I don't like this universe. They can just, okay, I don't like this story, on to the next one. Yeah, and the next one might grab them. And I mean, it really opens up the universe to do a whole bunch of weird, unique stories. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I had not actually looked into Hammer and Bolter at all. I saw you share a thing about it in the Discord, but I hadn't looked into it yet, so. Yeah, no, that one's basically exactly what we're pitching, is just a bunch of different little shorts from around the galaxy. Constrained to one style. Sometimes it's animated, sometimes it's live action. So maybe there's a claymation episode of the Necron or something. So <laughs> You kind of have to do the Necron and claymation. I mean, until you're doing something super serious, like, come on. You got to have your claymation uh, Egyptian style voice. Hire Laika to do the Necron episode. I'd watch the hell out of that. (laughs) That's what I mean. Just get a bunch of really cool artistic directors and go, hey, do you want to play in our sandbox? And just see what, you know, comes of it. I mean, literally, I think that's one of the big things that gets a lot of us into the hobby in the first place is the sheer variety in the the setting which is why i wouldn't even want to limit it to just 40k because i'm just now starting to learn more about the the fantasy and age of sigmar setting and that's great stuff too so yeah. there's 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 fantasy there's 40k there's the entire universe of horus heresy which is 40k but with a ton more political drama no the only reason we focused on 40k for this one is because yeah. when you look at all the Warhammer properties, you kind of have to pick one to focus in on. Otherwise, you're just going to be there, overwhelmed with the You will drown in content. You will drown. There is so much of it. So oh, my you'll so my mind, talk fantasy and Age of Sigmar. Yeah, so in <laughs> my mind, this is the kind of thing that uh, Black Mirror proved you can get away with. Because Black Mirror has, I don't know what its budget is, but that's... They do very well with uh, some episodes look like this costs a lot of money and some episodes are like, oh, this is where they saved a lot of money. And the fact that it's all sci-fi and stuff like that showed to me that that's the kind of style of show I think would be perfect for this specific kind of setting, a setting where you can have drama and comedy and like action and hell, even romance. There's the joke about the uh, Death Corps of Krieg romance thing that exists in universe make that an episode where that's getting created i don't know oh Just no someone narrate it i want that now oh no get david attenborough to narrate it exactly <laughs> oh no that would be beautifully awful i love it yeah um so i i do have another idea um it's definitely this one definitely i think would run into a bit of a scale problem uh so i was recently rereading uh warzone the warzone Karadon book uh the first uh warzone book mm-hmm. there is so much narrative drama going on you have typhus pushing forward you have the black legion you have a tiny force of space marines rushing to help you have 
guard and um, Adeptus Mechanicus trying to work together, but the Mechanicus just keep hanging them out to dry. And and all of and you also have Knights and Legio Titanica. Uh, so there's there's you have all these elements in, in this like can we can we hold even as we're being pushed back pushed back pushed back and we've only had the first book come out I have no idea what's coming next wait we don't we don't know how this this narrative ends are you saying that that's what would you make it into I'd I'm th- my brain kind of goes somewhere between like Band of Brothers and um somewhere between Band of Brothers with elements that you can throw in of of Black Hawk Down uh for some episodes uh in other episodes you could throw in more of a like a kaiju mecha focus because you do have all these elements you have the overarching narrative of Hold the line, fight the war. But you have all these forces. You have, you know, Colonel So and So's 140th battalion that is getting ground down from a battalion to a company to a couple squads. You've got these, you know, three, 200 Space Marines. I think it's only 200 who actually bother to show up. You've got this one maniple of titans and these two lances of knights and this, you know, all these different little forces that you can intersperse with scenes of like chaos and typhus becoming more and more frustrated that it is taking so long to get what he's been told he needs to do as he chafes at being given orders as the chief of the Adeptus Mechanicus falls deeper into his own mania and the leadership falls apart, leaving these individual companies and units to just desperately try and coordinate with each other and find some way to win the next breath, the next step, another day. No, that's it's a great setting. And I, I would love to tell story. I don't know. The only like, there's a scale to... problem. There's a that one has a definite scale problem because there is so there are so many moving parts. Well, you're literally doing a sector of space with multiple planets in it, multiple isn't... factions. Ulrich, isn't uh didn't you read the book of World War Z? Yes. Doesn't that have a similar kind of vibe going on? That would work perfectly. Okay, real quick, for those of you who haven't read World War Z and have only seen that terrible, terrible movie. World War Z is a collection of short stories that chronicle the zombie wars, which is zombie apocalypse. But each story is a different perspective and they kind of dovetail into each other. So you get the whole bigger, you know, narrative Mm. that would work perfectly here. You start with one person at the beginning and you kind of snake your way through various stories and various characters, each one kind of building or calling back to the other to have a complete narrative. That would be amazing, and that would work. That's exactly how you cover this huge event, but you still tell it in individual personal stories. Right. Like, you get, like, episode one is the discovery that Typhus is coming and the Black Legion is coming. The, you, then you get several, multiple episodes of the fight, and then all of a sudden, hey, where are all this Guitari? And then you get from the the 
guard character or a guard character in that in that episode yeah we don't they didn't tell us why they just abandoned us they ditched us they left we are holding we are hold and that episode's whole thing is we expected to have three times as many troops and they left so we now have to hold this position other episode talking about why they left and you can bury little details and show where they're going and and show what what they've gone to do and that's a brilliant solution, Axel. I like that. Because that literally is taking this giant idea and then breaking it down to its individual components. Yeah, it's, that's a, how do, you eat, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you tell a story about a space sector-wide war? One story at a time. Damn it, now <laughs> I really want that story. I do like, too, that with the exception of, so we've, told, we've had a few pitches here. And I feel like half of the pitches are single narratives and half the pitches are split narratives. And I think that's interesting that, you know, depending on what you want to get across and what you want to accomplish, you know, there's different tools in your toolbox. So, yeah, I mean, I had I, I was debating bringing a pitch for something that, you know, I figure a lot of people would get kind of mad at me about and doing, you know, third circle expansion. <laughs> Uh, let's let's ditch the Imperium and have a show following the Tau. That'd be cool. Uh, I'd watch which that. I was like, you know, I would watch the hell out of this, and I would love to see the Tau get more like center line attention. But oh like, god, I would piss off some some people very badly by being like, hey, let's front line the Tau. That I think needs to be a movie, <laughs> not a show, because. You would do basically the Avatar thing, where you've got a race of people that is all is going to be much more expensive to have because they have to visually look very distinct. Yeah. But you could have this subversion where literally the villains of their movie are the Imperium that's in their way. But it doesn't mean you don't get to keep the little hints that something is wrong in Tao society, too. So. Yeah, it's like, why does everyone just kind of drop their personality when this weird... Uh, penis-headed guy shows up. <laughs> huh. Interesting. I was gonna say, as far as, like, if, if if we made any adaptation about a Xenos character, I feel like Farsight is at the yes. top list. Well, so. he's written to be, you know, yeah, okay, here's the A, B, C plot, here's the characters, here's the interplay. He's set up for that, and that would be perfect. Like, I'm not a Tau player, but I feel like just from lore perspective, Farsight has more claim to I should be the protagonist in a movie than almost any other Xenos character, than probably any other Xenos character. I'd say the only other character in Xenos who I have that sense of, like, wow, you know, I would follow, I would watch a movie or a trilogy of movies about this character would probably have to be uh, Yenid. Yeah, that'd be a really interesting one. The, uh, the, but there's not enough. They kind of dropped the ball on telling that story right now. Yeah. Yenid like has a lot more backloaded stuff you need to know. Like, I feel like a lot yeah. of what makes them great is the history of the Eldar, the split of the Eldar and the Drukhari, even the and nature of the Corsairs of and... Yeah. Whereas, whereas Farsight, I feel like you can introduce the Tau in one movie, and you and have, have basically have the breakaway enclave. Yeah, you have like the one main through line that you can follow pretty well, I think, with Tau. So yeah, like, I feel like we've pitched some really great stuff tonight. 
Oh. Yeah. And yeah, and, so and, when, when are the three of us getting on the phone to Games Workshop? <laughs> I don't think they'll take our calls. And even Probably. then, I don't know if I want to take on yet another massive project. Well, also, I'm not convinced that <laughs> that uh, this conversation hasn't been echoed in some way in other you know podcasts or whatever. I haven't heard anyone have these conversations, but Ulrich tells me that it's the mark of you know a certain level of fame when you start pitching you know Warhammer movies. But the first step is when you start fan casting your Horus Heresy movie. Okay, yeah. you know what? I don't need you to at me about my season <laughs> Bible. Uh, we can we can talk about that in an in a later episode when you both are caught up. I was gonna say I've already decided that I want Kenneth Branagh directing. So. <laughs> oh man. Uh. But these are, I feel like these ideas all have great merit, and I wonder what, like, regardless of, I don't even know where I'm going, I want Eisenhorn to succeed so much. I mean, even before yeah. I was to Warhammer as yeah. I am now, I wanted to succeed because Warhammer is a crazy setting, and, and following an Inquisitor is the perfect way to introduce someone to the setting in a controlled way. Absolutely, I, and if it succeeds, we're going to see more. But it has to succeed. That's the thing. Eisenhorn is there. Is there dipping a toe in the water? It's throwing spaghetti at the wall. If this doesn't stick, well, uh, here's here's what it means. If it doesn't stick, because we're looking at. I look at how Games Workshop has dealt with video games, right? Oh and, God. And Games Workshop has it was it held on tight to the rights for a while, and then it started throwing out this net of like, hey, you want the rights? Here, you can have them. You want the rights? Here, you can have them. So. If Eisenhorn fails as a show, it won't be the end, but it will be. It will mean that we'll have to wait a long time, probably, because Warhammer as a hobby operates on these much longer time scales, and I don't yeah. see foresee it going away anytime soon. But you know, oh, oh, God, want to talk about it? Well, just to bring up another show that flopped, and we're getting something new. Either if you play Vampire the Masquerade, no, I'm aware of it, but I have not played it. Vampire the Masquerade had a one-season television show in, like, I want to say 2006, 2007, <laughs> that was right. awful. And it's this world with amazing lore, and it's deep and complicated. It has been 15 years, I believe, and they're finally like, you know what, let's try this again. You know, yeah, I definitely could see if Eisenhorn doesn't work out them kind of tabling it and a decade later being like hey you know what i think uh let's let's try this again with something else and, and here's another thing i hope that they understand because if let's look at space marine the the video game space yes. marine, the video game was a mediocre hack and slash but the fact that you got to play as a space marine was enough for a lot of people you know what i get that i play inquisitor martyr which is basically a pale offshoot of Diablo 3, but I get to play as an Inquisitor, so... <laughs> and so with Eisenhorn, right, I think what they need to do is realize you've got this relatively... Again, as Ulrich said, I don't think it's as, the hobby's as niche as people say it is anymore. I think it's actually relatively widespread. It's just you know not as concentrated as you might want. So I think know that you have a built-in base that's going to watch Eisenhorn on principle, essentially... So don't spend too much on it. Spend enough on it to make everything look reasonable. You're dealing with pretty much human characters and largely human problems with, an, with a, a heretic inquisitor. So just make a good story with 
with decent people, hint at the larger things, show you know a couple big things with some of your budget, enough to get people who aren't in the hobby interested in maybe asking their friends who are in the hobby about it. That's all you we really need to accomplish with Eisenhorn, you know? We're seeing an interesting tactic of Games Workshop still going full speed ahead with the Eisenhorn, presumably being a live-action show. But they've also developed their own animation side of, if that doesn't work, we're going to pour all the money in animation because the fan films have proven there's an audience for that. True. True. So I, I think one way or the other, probably, they're going to... Guardsman's probably my favorite fan Guardsman's film, really so. good. If you haven't seen Guardsman, guys, go look up Guardsman. Actually, I'm going to try and make a note to put that in the description because that's a really good one. Yeah, like I know Astartes is is the big one on campus, and Astartes is amazing, but I'm just saying, like, Guardsman's amazing. So. All right, anyone else have final thoughts, or are we going to call that our closing thoughts? My final thought, if before you get Zev, I want to give you the final, final thought. My final thought is that I heard a long time ago from a reviewer who I, I do highly respect that you can make a movie out of anything. Sometimes you have to modify it in a way that it might not be recognizable i don't think that's the case with warhammer because it's such a broad setting with so many different subsections but i think that warhammer is the kind of setting that you can adapt into any genre and i think that we're probably gonna have stumbling blocks i would love if the first show out the gate turns out to be like a great show but i feel like even if eisenhorn ends up being really good the best we could hope for is basically the Netflix is The Witcher, where it's pretty good, people are aware of it, but it's not going to set the world on fire kind of thing. And that's really all we need because you, I think they should apply the same kind of mentality they've done with video games, where they should give a lot of artists, especially younger artists and newer artists, opportunities to do something with the material. And you'll get bad stuff, but you also get good stuff, and I feel like that's how a setting like this can thrive. There's there's my concluding thought. <laughs> I guess I'll take my concluding thought and build off that and just say, you know, as as someone who my first exposure to Witcher was watching that Netflix series, it got me to buy the game. Uh, and today I bought my first Witcher book. So Ooh, good choice. If if we have if Eisenhorn can do that for even you know a hundred people that's great that's fantastic and it will have done exactly what it was supposed to do so i you know i i just hope they can they can create a story that that has that level of you know what yeah i like this character or do you have anything since you asked i was (laughs) i know i think i think we have covered everything i want to say outside of just can we finally put to rest this dumb notion that always gets brought up with these things of if they make a Warhammer TV series, they're going to take out all the grim dark and the blood and the gore and quote unquote PCify it. <laughs> Jesus Christ, who the hell still believes this shit? <laughs> Real quick, I'm just going to say up front, even if they did do that, that's not the end of the world. I've seen PG Deadpool work in Ultimate <laughs> Spider-Man. You can do it when you have writers who care. So just, yeah. just chill. <laughs> Take a breath, people. All right, on that fun little bombshell, we're going to go right into the guest plug. we got a little soapbox for you to stand up on and promote whatever it is you feel like promoting. 
Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to promote some tabletop role-playing streams. Uh, every other Sunday, so this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I play Lancer RPG over on Five Foot Square's Twitch. Uh, so if you want to see a game with great big mecha and crazy uh, sci-fi shenanigans, that's the place to be. And every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, I play Dungeons & Dragons on Vancouver by Night, uh, also on Twitch. So... Uh, that's what I'm plugging, and you can find me randomly tweeting variously nerdy stuff at Bukhari Gaming. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on and talking with us. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having me. It was it was a really fun conversation. I don't get to I don't get to have involved conversations like this all about about this topic all that often. So this is great. I love well, you this. You know what? I'm I'm gonna say this on recording now, so you can hold me to it later, and maybe Orb will hit me in the head. I don't know, but. <laughs> Once uh, once Eisenhorn does come out, I think you should come on and talk with us, and we can have a, a retrospective on what we thought now versus what we think then. So I'd I'd love to do that, and you know when you're more caught up with Horus Heresy, I'd love to talk with you guys about that uh, from a television perspective. All right, I don't know how many of those books Ulrich has read. I have read five. So <laughs> <laughs> let's see, there's. 60-some in the series, and I'm on book number... Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> Seriously, there's a lot of fucking books, guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to get through them all. I just also want to read some 40K books. I really want to read Faith and Fire and Brutal Cunning, so... <laughs> Ultimately, anyway. like, read one, switch to the other. All right, Ulrich, I guess time to take us in the outro, then. Yes, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things. The sharing is very important because that is the lifeblood of podcasts. Whatever platform you're currently listening to us on... Thank you, first of all. That platform must be either SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. It's on another platform, then we're not aware of it, and someone's hosting us, and that means that we're not getting anything from it. And I know that sounds like a real, me, me, mine, mine, but we, we would like to know, because uh, we've been hosted on Russian sites before, and that was kind of scary. So, <laughs> so let, let us know if you found us somewhere else, or let us know if there's somewhere else you would like to find us, and we're not already. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Until next time, may the dice roll in your favor.